Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Well, as you've kind of already seen today, uh, the focus of Palm Sunday is to tell us that the King has both come and He is coming. Uh, he's come once and He's coming again. I um, I do want to I do want to encourage you today to think about if Jesus is our King, uh, who was He? What's He like? What is He like? I told you last week that we would finish chapter two of Mark this week, and I have no idea what I was talking about when I said it, because we're not finishing chapter 2 of Mark this week. Uh, We're not getting remotely close to finishing chapter 2. I was clearly out of my mind last Sunday. What I did tell you that was true was that Mark 2 has four episodes in it. The episodes follow a a pattern, uh, and the The first story that we saw last week was of Jesus healing the man that was sick with the palsy. He was a paralyzed paralytic. And uh, you might remember uh, the question that was asked asked regarding Jesus by the religious leaders. And following that, I'm going to give you the other three questions that are asked in Mark 4 or Mark 2. In verse 7 last week, the question posed at Jesus was, why did this man speak blasphemy? Thus speak blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God only? That was the question we saw last week. We would call this, and we're going to categorize these four questions today quickly. We would call this a moral question. In our text that we're going to see today, the question is a social question. It's about the company that Jesus keeps. It's about whom Jesus fellowships with, with whom he fellowships. And so, in Mark 2 and verse 16, it's the question that we'll see today is, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And then in a couple weeks after Easter, we'll see the third question. It's, a, it's an ethical question. It's regarding the liberty that Jesus takes. And it's found in verse 19. Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Why is it, Jesus, that your disciples don't fast, but John, John the Baptist's disciples fast, the Pharisees fast? but yours don't. The fourth question is, it's a question regarding the identity of Jesus, and it's why he doesn't observe the Sabbath in the way they think. It's an important question, one that several of you have actually already asked me about regarding the ministry of Jesus. But Mark 2.24 gives us, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Why are they doing things on the Sabbath that's not lawful? So the four questions there in Mark 2 that we're going to see over the next several weeks are moral, social, ethical, and legal. Now, a little bit of a background here to this. And and for a moment this morning, what I want to do is something a little bit different. I'd like to walk through the text with you. I'd like to tell you the text and explain the text. And then we'll make a couple necessary statements, observation statements regarding the text, and we'll be on our way. Look with me at Mark 2 and verse 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, 
And all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. Now, if you remember from Mark 2, Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is right by the Sea of Galilee. It's a seaside town. It's, it means that really, to give you some context, Jesus was at that house. We, bought, we thought we believe it's Peter's house where the paralytic comes in, and it's not very far from the seashore. And there at the shore of the Sea of Galilee was ample space. If you went there today, you'd see what I mean. There's ample space for a multitude of people to gather. Hundreds, probably, if not thousands, could gather on that seashore. The people of Capernaum and possibly some nearby towns had they had come with they had come to Capernaum possibly because they had heard about the man who casts out demons. They had uh, heard about this man that heals the sick. He causes lepers to be clean. He enables paralyzed men to walk. I mean, you would want to see a guy like this for sure. But in all of that, we want to remind ourselves that the theme of Jesus' ministry was not healing, actually. And so here it is that Jesus has this multitude by the seaside, and he begins to teach them. Jesus taught them. We've already seen him as he begins his ministry, coming out of temptation, coming out of the wilderness. He is teaching, he is crying out in Mark 1 that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he goes into the synagogue of Capernaum, and he teaches with authority unlike the scribes. Last week, he's there in Peter's house. Before they ripped off the roof, Jesus is there in the house, and he's preaching to them, he's teaching. And so he's just continuing to do what he's done. He's there on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching. This is our setting today. Verse 14 says, and he passed by. So they leave that place. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So Jesus finishes teaching. And he goes back into the city of Capernaum, into the, into the town there, and there he sees a man. The man's name is Levi. Now, in those days, you were either known by your dad's name or by the town where you're from, Jesus of Nazareth. Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, simply put, Levi is a tax collector, but he's a different kind of tax collector than what maybe you and I think. He's a... He's a uh, he, he works at a, a, a custom toll booth. And I'll explain more about that in a moment. But you got to imagine for a moment driving on I-90 back in the day, right? Before Easy Pass and I Pass and all the other passes, or just rolling through whatever you do with, with toll booths. And you had to actually pay a person. How many remember when you had to actually look at a person? Uh, I remember when I was a college student driving down 294 and I'd have to throw the exact amount of change in the machine. And sometimes if you threw it and the dime went off, you're like, you got to be kidding me. Get out of the car. Go to find your money and you find everybody else's money and you're stashing it for the next. You got to think this is kind of similar actually in a way. So Jesus comes up to this toll booth, this customs, receipt of customs. And he says to this man there, Levi, he's the son of Alphaeus. His dad's name's Alphaeus. We don't know anything else about him. He says to him, follow me. And there's an immediate response. It seems like Levi probably saw something from Jesus, saw something from this rabbi that he wanted. So he arose and he followed Jesus. And verse 15 says, And he came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house. This is interesting. 
Number one, whose house? Well, we know from Luke's account of this story that it's Levi's house. Luke 5.29 says, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. So what we have going on is Jesus calls Levi. Levi leaves his job and follows Jesus and takes Jesus and says, Hey, come to my house. I'm going to throw you a big party. Now, Levi, as a toll worker, as a tax collector, would have been an upper-class kind of guy. And so it's a big party, probably in a big house. And the text tells us that Jesus sat at meat. Now, that's not a way you and I often speak. But I do want you to get a picture of what this looks like. We have a screen, picture on the screen there. And maybe you've wondered, like, what do they do when they sit and eat in Jesus' day? Well, here's an idea of it. They, uh, can we kill the lights for better visual? Uh, we, we can see there they kind of recline, right? How many parents have ever said to your kid at the table, sit up, sit up? In this day, it had been like, hey, lay down, lay down. Um, they would recline with their feet away from the table and their head towards the table. And I plan to try this for lunch today. I think it'll be fun. Um, but this is how they would eat. And so, but in this day with big parties, and I don't have a picture of this, one of the best ways to imagine this is if you've ever sat at a, a meal, maybe some co-workers, a Christmas party or something, in a, a U-shaped setting. And so it, a big party means there'd be people sitting on the outside of the U and then on the inside of the U. And, and tradition tells us, I'm not saying it's factual, but uh, you can give me the lights again. Uh, so they can see my handsome face. Um, but y'all are going to have to wake up this morning. It's going to be a long day. Um, that that the, the VIP type people would be on the inside of the U, and the servants and the, if I could say it in their day, the, the, the people of lesser means would be, on the, would be on the outside of the U. It's probably about what's going on here. Now, at a party like this, you can imagine, the text says in verse 15 that there's many publicans and sinners that sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. Twice we see the words there in verse 15, that there's many. So this is a full house, a full party, a full table location. Many publicans and sinners. Many people that were with Jesus and his four disciples at that point. Now Levi added. Which is honestly, it's socially strange. And you got to understand a little bit of the historical context for this. It's, it's just strange. Everything about this is odd. Why would Jesus be sitting with and so closely to these publicans and sinners? They're social outcasts. They don't belong. No rabbi would ever be hanging out with these people. Verse 16 says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, so they speak to the four, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, who are the scribes and Pharisees? These are the best of the best, right? These are not the adjunct professors. These are the, 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 the doctor, doctoral program teachers, right? These are the people that are the head of the PhD program, right? The best of the best are looking at the disciples, the four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and saying, why is Jesus eating with these people, publicans? Who are publicans? They're tax collectors and sinners, social outcasts. And they're, they're, they're not upset. Listen, they're not upset because Jesus approves of those people's way of living. They're just mad 
that Jesus is showing them any kind of dignity. They're not, they're not mad because Jesus is saying, I'm good with their sin. They're mad because they don't understand why Jesus is giving them any honor. Why he's talking with them. Why would he look in their eyes? Why would Jesus treat them as image bearers? Verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is Jesus saying then? He's saying that those that are whole, those that are doing well, those that have it all together, they don't need a physician. Jesus didn't come to call those who were operating okay on their own fuel. Jesus didn't come to call those that are passing their classes perfectly fine. Jesus came to call sinners. Sinners. Not people who are surviving on their own motivation. Not people that are functioning in their own supposed righteousness. Not people who are doing everything that they think they need to do to manage their life the way they have to manage it. Jesus didn't come for them. He came for a bunch of social outcasts and sinners. That's what he came for. Now, truth is, you've got the text. You got it. Jerusalem, or Capernaum, seaside teaching, tax collector, come follow me, sitting down with a tax collector in, in his house with a bunch of other people, a bunch of other publicans and sinners, and the Pharisees are there, and they're frustrated with Jesus. That's the text. And truthfully, if we were in Sunday school today, we, we could walk out, but here in a church service like this, this is about doing spiritual surgery, right? This is like triage for us. Where we come and we hear the text and we don't just learn what the text says. We want to let Jesus open us up to expose what's really going on. That's what we want. That's why we're here. Many of us are really, really good at doing church, right? Like you're good at listening to the sermon for the 35, 40 minutes that it's going on and walking out, but we're really, really bad often at exposing our sickness and disease to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you today on a text that we can seem to really do well leaning into. I'm going to ask you to just pray and walk with me through this. I'm going to encourage you not to stuff down what you've been stuffing down about your sin about your shame, about your disappointment, your own struggle. Here's the reason I'm going to ask you to let Jesus have it all. Listen very carefully. I want to encourage you to let Jesus have it all today. The reason I want to let you, I want to encourage you to let Jesus have all of your sin and all of your struggle and all of your shame and all of your disappointment is because Jesus is the kind of Savior that can handle it. He's the kind of Savior that can handle the worst of us. So what kind of a Savior is he? The text actually tells us. First off, it tells us that Jesus is a Savior for all people. Jesus is for all people. What do I mean by that? Well, the observation of this would say that Jesus, in the text, calls Levi. He calls a tax collector to join four fishermen as his disciples. Let me read for you again verses 13 and 14. And he went forth again by the seaside 
And all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Now, here's what's interesting. Stop for a moment. There were some people that heard, but the text seemed to tell us that, tell us that Levi wasn't at the seashore. He wasn't there listening. He was, he was not allowed in a setting like that. He's just over at his custom, receipt of custom booth. And Jesus passed by, saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, here's what you need to know, and I'm going to be very concrete and simple with you. Jesus did not come to call a certain demographic over another. He didn't call only the extroverts. <laughs> he didn't call only those that have come through the gifted programs. Jesus didn't call those that had, you know, finished Financial Peace University or those that had finished their college degree. He came for all kinds of people at every end of every spectrum of society. Listen, for you to think about, Jesus came for everybody who lives in your building. He came for everybody everybody who lives on your street, on your block, in your college study group. See, Everybody needs this kind of a Savior. And so Jesus is for all people. Now, how do we know this? Three reasons. Number one, we're dealing with a tax collector. <laughs> we're dealing with a tax collector. Now, I don't know how you feel about tax season, which we're walking a little bit through right now, but don't read that into this moment because here's because your tax collector is not Levi here, all right? The tax collector in Jesus' day Listen to some of the context here. Could charge you whatever he wanted. He worked for the Roman government. Specifically, he worked for Herod Antipas. Now, being a tax collector was, in the Jewish mind, considered one of the vilest classes of people. In fact, Jewish literature places tax collectors in the same category as murderers and thieves and robbers. Right? That's why I said, don't put your, don't put your tax, your accountant in this category, please. On top of that, the, the Jews had two categories for tax collectors. Those that were responsible for income tax and poll tax. And then, and then there were the collectors who served as customs officers. When I say customs officers, I'm meaning those who sat at bridges, canals, and roads. And they had the power to demand exorbitant amount of taxes so that they profited significantly. And so when a Jewish man or woman went into customs tax services, they were considered to be an outcast of society. In fact, that Jew could no longer serve as a judge or a witness in a legal matter. They were disallowed to enter the synagogue, no longer allowed in the synagogue. Not only were they disgraced, but their entire family was also disgraced. Let me take it even further to what Jewish literature says. If a tax collector touched your home, physically touched your home, your home was now ceremonially unclean. That's how despised these people were. That's how despised. So we say Jesus is for all people. We know this because he calls a tax collector. Secondly, the tax collector's identity matters a lot here. I want you to notice his name. It's Levi. 
Levi is a good Jewish name, isn't it? It's a good Jewish name. It's one of the 12 tribes. <laughs> now, you, you would not be so bothered by this if the guy's name was like Alexander or Dustin <laughs> or some other name. But it's a Jewish name. I mean, this man, Levi, was named after the tribe that produced priests, and he was anything but a priest. Number three, the tax collector's location is of note. Where was this location? By all accounts, it's the booth that's by the sea. What does that mean? There was a certain group of these custom tax collectors that would sit by bodies of water. In fact, we have this documented uh, in in, in the first century uh, where the fishing industry would have to pay a tax when they came off their boats They would have to stop at the receipt of custom to pay tax on their fish. Now, if you're paying attention, what was the profession of the other four disciples? They're fishermen. If you think those fishermen had not had to stop at Levi's booth to pay taxes, you're not paying attention to the context here. These four got no love for this guy. No love. In fact, these guys have been robbed by Levi. Their friends, their family have been robbed by Levi. They want nothing to do with this guy. And so at this point, we have to stop and realize that Jesus starting five, right? The starting five on team Jesus is four fishermen and a man who stole from four fishermen. It's not looking really promising in our eyes, is it yet? But here's the point. Listen very carefully. This covers the full demographic of who just Jesus came for. The truth is, in this room today, listen, regardless of what you have ever done, none of you, none of us, are outside the kind of people Jesus came to save. Listen. Neither is your neighbor. Neither is your neighbor. Neither is your boss or your coworker. The text said that many followed him. Who followed Jesus? People from every demographic. Fishermen, tax collectors, teachers, homemakers, law enforcement officers, bankers, firemen, addicts, failures, divorcees, single college students, outcasts, homeless, nurses, lawyers, social workers, poverty-stricken people, and sinful Northside pastors are all included in the demographic of who Jesus came to save. Let's never forget that. Why, why do we forget it? Because we have a we're not as bad as them mentality. That's why. So the first aspect of this is Jesus is for all people. Secondly, Jesus is for some people. Jesus is for some people. That makes no sense to you, does it? Here's what I mean by this. Verse 17 says, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen very carefully. Let me just talk you through this for just a second. Every human organization, 
every human organization is for some people. Right? We should actually believe that and know that. Here's what I mean. To get into Northwestern, you got to have a certain GPA, certain SAT, right? To get the loan for the house, you need a certain level of income. To get the job, you need to meet the qualifications, have the right degree or resume. To be on the team, you got to have a decent jump shot or run a 40-yard dash. To be in the musical, you got to have a good singing voice or to be able to play anything other than the radio, right? It's my dad joke for the day right there. To make the orchestra, you, you got to be able to play the instrument. And, and even then, you may not even be good enough to get in the, the, uh, that one orchestra, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea here, that every organization is for some people. If I went down the street to, to the hospital, I promise you they're not going to let me work as a nurse. You know why? Because it's for some people, those that qualify. I don't. The kingdom of God is actually the same way, but it's in reverse. Don't miss this. The kingdom of God is the same way, but in reverse. In the gospel, but bear with what I say and let me flesh it out. It's the bottom, it's the bottom 25%. It's the bottom 10% who qualify. You just have to have the courage to accept the fact that you qualify. Why? Well, the truth is, we qualify for the kingdom of God not by being at the top, not by qualifying. We come to God, we come to Christ by recognizing that we don't qualify. You don't come to Jesus with your resume, you come to Jesus with no resume. Here's the point. Listen, the kingdom of God and, 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 and beginning and in, in following of Jesus, beginning in a new life in Christ, it's like skydiving. You begin by falling. Don't miss that. It's like scuba diving. You begin by falling in. You don't come to Christ without falling. Falling before him saying, I'm a sinner. I'm an outcast. I'm a publican. I'm a, I'm a tax collector. I'm a thief. I'm an addict. I'm a failure. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm everything I should not be. I am that. The kingdom of God, you enter it by falling. That's how you get in. You fall down acknowledging that you are a sinner. Now look at the rest of the text again. Verse 17 says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, does Jesus mean here that the righteous are disqualified? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. It does not mean that he came to call some and not others, because the plain witness of Scripture informs otherwise. For instance, when Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman in John 4, he says, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Whoever wants it can have it. Right? It's for anybody. There's nobody disqualified. At the Feast of Booths, Jesus said, if any man thirst, in John 7, any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If anyone wants this, 
They can have it. Anybody? Levi from our text, by the way, Levi is the same man who wrote the first gospel in the scriptures. His other name, Matthew. Matthew, who is also Levi, said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor, penning Jesus' words. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all, all are welcome to Jesus. So when I say that, that Jesus is for some people, I'm not saying that Jesus came for others and didn't want another. Jesus is saying the invitation is to all. So what does he mean here? Now bear with me. And I want you to track the logic of Jesus' words, all right? It's like applying for a job. It's like applying for a job. What if you sent your resume and on the cover letter you said, to whom it may concern? I do not deserve this job. Signed your name. And then on the resume portion, you had your name, the contact info on top, and then you started listing your resume and you said something like this. I'm easily very angry. I struggle with impure thoughts. My relationships are in a very, very bad place. I eat too much pizza, which is actually a good thing, but I eat too much pizza or ice cream. What if you kept going? You said, I struggle with addictive behaviors. I'm, a, I'm not a good parent. I yell at my kids. I battle the shame because of it. I snap at my spouse all the time. My siblings don't like me or talk to me. And here's my email address. I'm excited to hear back from you. What if you did that? Now, you might think that's silly. But you know, listen very carefully. If you're anything like me, we instinctively believe Jesus is looking for all-stars. Your subconscious tells you that Jesus is drawn to the straight-A student. He finds himself more pursuant of righteous people than sinners. But Jesus says, let me rewire your thinking. And this is why I told you it's safe to expose it all to Jesus. Because Jesus said, I came to call sinners not righteous. I came to call failures. I came to call outcasts. I came to call the one who is easily angry. I came to call the one who struggles with pure thoughts. I came to call the mom and dad who feel like they failed with their children. I came to call the one who has committed a sin that they can't stop thinking about. Jesus said, I came for you. And the truth is today, the greatest obstacle, listen friends, the greatest obstacle between us and God is actually our perceived goodness. It's our perceived goodness. We think we're good, and so we don't need a physician. They that are whole don't need a physician. So Jesus comes and says, there's a remedy for sinners. But pause. 
for anyone who thinks that they have to bring their righteousness forward, what is available to that person? What is available to that person? The problem is that person is unwilling to admit that they're sick, that they need a Savior. So I said to you, the kingdom of God is for the bottom 25%. You know who it's for? Listen, the kingdom of God is for the courageous. The courageous who say, put me in the sinner category. I'm not running from my failures. I'm going to run to Jesus. The old hymn, you probably have never even sung it, but the words say this. Listen very carefully. Think about James Proctor's words. Cast your deadly doing down. Deadly doing. What is Proctor saying? All of your supposed doing is actually deadly to me. Cast it down at Jesus' feet and stand in Him and Him alone, gloriously complete. You get none of this with any of your goodness. Now, let me conclude. Here's the deepest point of Mark 2. And here's what we have to get about this today. Jesus says, I'm here now. I came to earth. The point of everything, the point of everything is not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came for the disasters. Jesus came for the train wrecks. Are you with me? Can I just say this to you? No other religion shows you a God like this. No other religion. In fact, if you want to see what apologists, those that defend the Christian faith, say is one of the evidences that we can't take all religions as true, is look at the other religions of the world and how they have formed a God in the image of man. What are they? They're performance-driven, like we are. They demand you to do for them. But not Jesus. The truth is, my friends, we said this already once in our study, Jesus is not who we think He is. Jesus is not who we think He is. So let me ask you a question in conclusion today. What have your thoughts been about yourself this week? What have your thoughts been about yourself this week? Here's what I mean by that. Did you wake up first thing in the morning or at some point during the day, you stopped and you had some quietness to yourself and you started thinking things like, if only people knew how much I struggled with fill in the blank. I never thought I would mess up my life this badly. Never thought I would. You might have sat there and thought, who am I becoming? Nobody really knows how utterly sinful I am. Seems like everyone around me dislikes me and I don't blame them. I'll never, you thought I never will get this weight of shame off me. I so badly want to stop faking and I just, I want to be truly honest. I, I can't stop thinking about that dumb thing that I did. What was I thinking? My wife, my husband, my kids, will they ever fully forgive me? 
maybe you're sitting here right now. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're bearing shame, guilt regarding something that you've done in the last 24 hours. Something you did, something you looked at, something you said, something you thought about, something you desired. Maybe today you're sitting there struggling with the ability to express your deepest pain, fear, and disappointment. Listen very carefully. If you're anywhere remotely close to anything that I just said, anything that you've done, anything that you've thought, then listen very carefully. You need to understand this. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is paying especially close attention to you. You think otherwise. You think, boy, Jesus must be absolutely grossed out by me. It's actually the opposite. Jesus is passionately pursuing you. He wants to be with you, and he is just the balm that you need for your soul. Now, let me just remind you, just remind you, a very important quote. Listen very carefully because Jesus isn't like us. The Christian life is a constant plunging into the depths of Jesus and realizing over and over again that he is nothing like us. Every day that I look at Jesus in Scripture, I'm reminded he's nothing like I think he is and nothing like me. Nothing like me. Secondly, and we conclude, Jesus invites messy people into the gift of repentance. Now, you're sitting there today, and here's what often happens in church. So stay with me. Try to find your way back and have just a couple minutes, and we're done. You know what often happens with a text like this? We often say, Jesus loves hanging around with the worst of society. And we tend to say, Christians need to be willing to do that. And there's a place for all of that. But here's the point of the text. The text says that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. To repentance. It's insufficient to say, Jesus came for all of these people. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. He came as the doctor comes in the room and says, you've got this sickness, here's the prescription. You've got this need, here's the medicine. Jesus, as the physician, the great physician says, Here's what you need. You need repentance. It's not sufficient to say, we should hang out with the worst of, of a society, if you can put it like that. Forgive me for that language. We need to hang out with everybody because Jesus says, that's not what it's saying. Jesus came to say, I'm calling everybody to repentance. You Pharisees don't think you need me. The sinners know they need me. But to the sinful one, Jesus says, I'm calling you to repent. I'm calling you to change your mind about your sin and to draw yourself to me, to be drawn to me, to come to me. That's what Jesus is saying. And the truth is, I've been in church all my life. I'm 41. I've been in church since I was born. I wasn't born in church, but not far from church. And you know what I know about Christians? It's not appropriate to say Christians are Pharisees because the Pharisees are unconverted people. 
But we tend to have pharisaical perspectives. We tend to say, we're not the sinful ones. But if you needed Jesus then, you still need Jesus now. And so we are the ones as Christians who don't come in with all of our pretense. We're the ones as Christians who come say, sinner, sinner. He needs a Savior. We're not looking down on people. We're realizing who we received because of what we were. Now listen very carefully. The whole point of this is to show us Jesus is the kind of Savior who takes people who are a mess. By their own doings? Often yes. By something that has happened to them? Oftentimes, yes. And Jesus says, I came for those people. We sit here today, and we have to say honestly, courageously, I'm the mess. I am the mess. I'm not here today to say you're a mess. I am here to say I'm a mess. And thankfully, Jesus is drawn to my mess. He's drawn to me. And if you're a sinner, he is as well drawn to you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. I will just challenge you to this. You'll never find, you'll never find a system of belief where the Lord tells you that everything that was demanded, he fulfilled. He fulfilled it all. See, Jesus lived righteously on your behalf. He took your punishment that you deserved on the cross. You deserved it. I deserved it. This week we thought we think about that. We deserved death. Jesus took it on the cross for us. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And he offers to all who are courageous enough to come to him. He offers them eternal life. Who did he come to save? Sinners. Sinners. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus, you have never come to Jesus and said, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, I hope today you will consider making that decision. If you are a Christian in the room, what is appropriate for you today? An appropriate response may just be this. I was a sinner. And yet Jesus came for me. I will never, by the grace of God, look down, speak down, or think ill of another sinner. But I will remember that Jesus came for them. Let's be that church, yeah? That church that everybody who walks through the doors we say to them, Jesus is for you. He loves you. He came to save you. And let's broadcast to the nations. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. 
If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.